Travels are all the same. You wanna go where everybody knows your name. Do 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 do. It's pouring down rain outside. Uh, hi everybody. This is Ellie Noss with Atomic Moms. How's everybody feeling? How are those New Year's resolutions going? I uh, I'm tired already. <laughs> Uh, There's something kind of sad about January, I think. You know, we burn bright, and by the first week, I know I'm always worn out. You know, the holiday lights are a tangled mess in the garage. My husband and I have sworn that we won't drink for the month of January, and uh, it's been one weekend, and we're already wondering why it's so hard. I hope we don't have a problem. (laughs) And so, you know, we have these big goals set, but uh, suddenly those goals feel so far away, and Sometimes we plant what we need and then we're just sort of like, grow already, come on. Sometimes the change takes longer than we want it to. Like, I kind of want to plant the seed and then just go pick it up at Whole Foods, like ready to go. Like why, like I just want to Amazon Prime my goals. I just want them to show up on my doorstep the next day. But that's not what January's like. January's kind of slow, And we, you know, we set our intentions and then we got to like do the work. I had a blog many years ago called My Principality. And uh, in it, I shared one of my artistic heroes, uh, Anne Bogart. She's a theater director in New York. I shared one of her essays. And one of them is called Permanence. And in it, she writes, for the artistic process, the winter of quiet and invisibility is necessary for a burst of new life and expression to occur. You know, sometimes January can feel deathly quiet compared to December. It doesn't have the pizzazz. I think of January as December's hangover. But as Anne Bogart says, it's a necessary time. Spring is coming. But spring can't come without this part. You know, and this also reminds me of my two-year-old Sabrina. This kind of, this pace of January that's so much slower than December that makes me a little uncomfortable. Like, how are we uncomfortable with the pace, the slow pace that our children need sometimes? You know, people are so dead set on activities. She should be in more activities. Um, But some of these kids have crazier schedules than CEOs. And personally, I don't think my daughter needs an Erin Condren planner before she can write in it. And if anyone knows Erin Condren, that would be an awesome sponsor. Please reach out to her. Uh, You know, I think, personally, boredom is a good thing. I uh, come up with 50 things to do so I don't have to experience it. Boredom's a little scary to me, but we need it. When I was little, I was bored all the time, and it was great. That's where creativity came from. I need a little more of that in my life now, and I need to let my daughter experience it too. It's one of the best things my mother ever gave me. She didn't overschedule me. I was left to my own devices. I would dress my three dogs. We had two Welsh corgis and a golden retriever, and I had a very old babysitter who was like in the other room and I would dress my dogs as the characters from Little Women. If I hadn't been bored, I never would have done that. I wouldn't have choreographed all of a West Side story at like age seven. (laughs) You know, she didn't need to fill all of my time up with activities. You know, I learned to read. I wrote stories. I filled my time with creativity. But the boredom has to come first. I think that's the first step. And so Ann Bogart also writes... I wondered if this is a typical American attitude, distrust of empty space and unfilled time. And yet how can anything new be engendered if space and time is not allowed in order that the new event might occur? We got to allow the space and time. Spring is coming. And apparently so is a mudslide because it is really pouring outside. Today, we are getting a very unique parenting perspective from Henry Dittman. He grew up in the military, and he plays a dad on TV. 
And I thought it would be a light and breezy conversation um, about what it was like growing up all over the world and, you know, being on a Nickelodeon show. Uh, I don't know. I didn't expect him to be like so open and honest. How about that? I had a great guest and he was super genuine and he was like very open. And then here's the crazy thing. Here's a dad who knows about Janet Lansbury, who uh, has used Jennifer Waldberger's book, who uh, whose wife loves Dr. Shafali. I mean, that was pretty uh, – dad's out there. That's pretty hot. When, uh, when you know our favorite guests, uh, we like it. Um, and so in typical Atomic Moms fashion, we go way deeper. And I woke up at like 3 in the morning and I was like, oh, Ellie – like, why do you need to know how people tick? Like, and what influenced them and how their parents affected how they raised their own children? Like, why do you have to do that? Like, can't you just keep it glossy and superficial and soundbitey? Like, can't you just, like, make jokes about, like, the diaper genie and, like, let that be enough? Like, why, why do you want to, like, get into, like, the deep stuff? And then there's, like, this little voice in my head that's like, because that's the stuff that matters to you. And then I'm like, yeah, but but it's uncomfortable and like life should be easier and you shouldn't be spinning out about this stuff. And then I remembered like probably five years ago, I was in a little shop with my dad and I found this frame. On the frame, there was an, a quote that I love. And the quote, I read it out loud to my dad. I was like, hey, dad, I love this quote. Isn't this great? And the quote was, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. <laughs> and my dad was like, Bleh, that's too heavy for me. And I did this sort of like panicky laugh because the quote was by Dr. Seuss. And I'm like, oh, that's why I struggle with like, should I should stay in the kiddie pool. I shouldn't go into uncharted waters. Like that's too deep. That's too uh, revealing. That's too personal because Dr. Seuss is too deep. <laughs> Uh, in the land where I was raised. So uh, Henry kind of gives us this uh, unique perspective of like, I didn't know that dads got more excited when other dads said they were having a boy. I thought that was over. It's 2016. I mean, look, I would like to have a boy next because my two-year-old daughter is like Sasha Fierce and she'll cuddle up a storm, but only when she is severely hurt or when it's two hours past her bedtime. So I want a boy because girls are strong and independent and boys are needy. And yes, that's the most sexist thing I've ever said, but nobody burst my ignorant bubble because I'm really hoping that I'll have a cuddle monster next. Um, I was at Pottery Barn Kids the other day with my daughter, and she like immediately flocked to the boys' room display. And uh, she really wanted the Millennium Falcon bed, and she's super into superheroes. She, you know, she asked Santa for a Batman house. And I saw on the Pottery Barn wall a poster that says, brothers are superheroes. And I got so mad, not just because I was in the mall with my daughter, and that's just like an agitating experience anyway, but I got mad about brothers are superheroes because I was like, where is the sisters are superheroes? You know, we're potty training. I mean, we've been doing it for a year. She was so um, – she hit that stride early and uh, – I'd say now we're in like the January of potty training. It's a, it's a slow process. And uh, anyway, there's these two books. There's a princess potty book and a superhero potty book. And I'm like, okay, fine. There's a boy on the cover of the superhero potty book, but I'll get that one. But then it even says like getting ready for my big boy pants like on the cover. And I'm like, come on, man. Come on, woman. <laughs> like... My daughter should be able to have a princess potty book and a superhero potty book. The kid deserves it all. The whole spectrum. You know, and all the trains are on the girl, the boy's side of the room. My daughter loves trains. Like, how can we expect our daughters to grow up to be engineers and do all this, like, cool stuff that has typically been uh, male-dominated if all the cool shit is on the boy's side of the store? Okay, I'm going to get off my soapbox now. I... I'm pretty darn sure you're going to appreciate this episode with Henry Dittman. It's in studio, so it sounds better than me sitting in my daughter's chair in her nursery. By the way, do you guys ever just like hang out in your kids' nurseries or bedrooms? 
Is that kind of creepy? I find this to be a very soothing place. Like it smells sweet like her and I'm in her little rocking chair, which by the way, she's gotten so big now. She's like daddy long legs and we need like to have like a rocking love seat because we can't both sit on this thing anymore. It feels like um, it's so peaceful in here. El Nino guys, it's finally here. <laughs> People in Nebraska are like, like, Shut up, LA. Like, who cares about El Nino? It's a very big deal in LA, okay? But we're supposed to still conserve water because there's no way to trap the water. There's no way to conserve this water that is pouring out of the sky right now. So we're still supposed to conserve water even though everything's going to be flooding. This is what I learned watching PBS last night. (laughs) Okay, the episode is with Henry Dittman. Uh, It's a lovely, rollicking stream of consciousness discussion and uh, I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. My guest today, <laughs> I'm going to call him my co-host, Mr. Henry Dittman. I wish everyone could, you should do a video feed of your podcast. I wish everyone could see you like so sweet. Her <laughs> hands are clasped nearly in like sweet prayer yeah like i'm doing a like i'm in a chorus it's very sweet like atomic (laughs) is a little misleading well because like the space is so you've you've created such a sweet sort of welcoming oh thank you podcast and it's not atomic well okay i'll say atomic because we've got like a crazy amount of awesome energy there you go and we just we're exploding (laughs) with ideas yes and support and support how about I that? It. I love it. Uh, so now I'm going to read your little bio, okay. Mr. Henry, so everyone knows who you are. Okay. Uh, most recently, he has been on shows like Mad Men and The Pete Holmes Show, and he's probably sold you something on commercials, <laughs> like our one of our favorite guest co-hosts, Bridget Maloney Sinclair, who, by the way, do you know her? She's like, she does every commercial ever. Probably, So the yes. two of you have probably seen each other many times. Does she, play, does she play a mom? She usually plays as a mom. And or we've auditioned together, if at the very least, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. She's got bangs. She's adorable. Anyway. It's a living. It's an amazing living. I never made a living at it. I tried. Okay. You've hosted shows <laughs> for TLC, E, and Cartoon Network. Uh, you also play CJ Martin's father on the new Nickelodeon series, 100 Things to Do Before High School, a job he booked days before becoming a first-time dad in real life to his baby girl, who is now 22 months old. Mm-hmm. It's so nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you too. Welcome to Aren't the you lovely. Moms. Aren't you lovely? <laughs> okay, so I want to talk to you about your childhood because that sounded sounds wild to me, like mm-hmm. living all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to talk to you about raising your daughter and surviving the terrible twos that are coming up for you. And wait, the what's the, the wonderful twos? <laughs> oh no. But first, I feel like we just came out of the woods. You, oh no, there's a whole new forest. A whole new forest. Uh, but first, I want to talk to you about being a TV dad. It's crazy. What's really crazy about the Nickelodeon show, it's so interestingly timed with my life and my family's life because I auditioned right as my wife was getting ready to give birth. And then had the callback, or rather had the callback like days before we were due and then shot days after we had the baby. And then they used my own, when we eventually started shooting the series, nine months later when it was picked up, they used my daughter's baby photos, me holding her as my TV daughter's family photos around the house because my daughter looks like the girl- I guess that shows you it's good casting that I would have produced a daughter that looks like the daughter, (laughs) my TV daughter. Right. But it's sort of, um, I'm watching this girl, Isabella Moner, who is going to be Nickelodeon's next big star. She's got a TV, uh, like a radio deal already with them, recording contracts. She's doing concerts. And you can see the sort of, she was like, I don't even know how old she is, 10, 11, 12. But as you watch this first season, she goes from being a little girl to a teenager, and that's yeah. not just the makeup. And no, the, it's really. Okay. I, I, I'm sure. Because you it's know the what I'm talking about. Because like a lot of Disney shows, Nickelodeon shows, these girls look so cute. They, they look cuter fast. than me, but they grow up so fast. Like they look like. Well, many they're trying adults. to do the opposite. I mean, I see her on set, so they're trying to keep her looking young. Yeah. And I'm just watching her develop, and I can't let go of this feeling of like this is what I'm going to go through 12 years from now yeah. with someone who kind of looks like what my daughter could look like. 
And what? she's the sweetest girl. Like she? she's so sweet, and I keep wanting. I kind of want to like. Yeah. Do you mentor them? I, they don't need. By I mean, the way, for our listeners, you just like put your arms close, like you wanted to protect. I want. I want to protect her because like. I know, but she's, she's about to a, be a superstar and a total a mogul, and, and you can't had, save her from the incredible life she's about to have. Like she probably won't let you inside the gates of her estate in five years. Not. And they look, she doesn't need my help professionally being mentored because she's already been on Broadway and oh, been on TV shows and all that. She doesn't need my help being mentored as a parent because her parents are amazing. Her mom is such a lovely woman. Uh, and I worked at a kid's talent agency when I first moved to LA no 18 way. years ago. So okay, we're gonna have to talk about that. Too. I watched like what it takes to not let your kid go to a really dark place. I watched like what is required to okay, help a so kid. Okay, so what is required? I'll say this. The ones that it worked the best for were the ones who were willing to turn down a callback because their kid had little league. And there was one family, I'll never forget it. They had a, I say a five-year-old. They'd moved here from Germany and their kid was an instant, obviously about to be a star. He'd booked like three McDonald's commercials in a year. He tested for a pilot. We were all sitting around the agency going, here we go. This kid's going to be a star. One day the parents came in and said, we're going back to Germany. We're like, okay, how long? Because this kid's obviously about to blow up. And we'd had all these parents who, they gave up their lives because their kid was going to be the breadwinner. I'm, if I wouldn't be cynical, if I wanted to not be cynical because their kid was about to have a great career, whatever. Whatever, but they're 12. So like 12, they could have a less, career. Yeah. Or less. And that's so and much the, pressure. And so much pressure. And they were like, great, when will you be back? And the father said, we won't because he's talked back to us three times in the last couple of weeks. He's completely changed since he's been on set. It's not natural for him to have 50-year-old, 40-year-old, 30-year-old people kissing his kissing buns. His and so we're we're done. And he left. And I remember all the agents being like, how could they do that? How could they do that? And I was sitting in the back thinking, this is like a teachable moment for when I have a family. It's a family business. Mm-hmm. My wife's an actor. I'm an actor. Oh, she is. And so- Gosh, what kind of career could I have had if my parents were in this industry or if I'd had an uncle or someone to have, so I wasn't starting from scratch, Right. but it felt like that's the secret. The secret is there, there has to be something more than your work in your life, right? There has to be something like we've, we've, we all, the beauty of having an actor wife is that she gets it when everything has to drop because of some job that someone outside of the industry might not understand is important. But that also leads to a lot of dysfunction in marriages and in relationships and friendships when everyone understands that everything takes a backseat to your work. If you talk to a lawyer who was saying that, you know, I'm canceling our Christmas trip to go back and see grandma and grandpa because I've got a meeting that could lead to a client, people would think you were an insane person. So now transfer that onto a 12-year-old. Right. And also, I mean, my parents are lawyers, so I think I can say that a lot of lawyers are such workaholics that you do sort of expect them not to do the Christmas trip, but it's sort of expected because it's like, well, they're working so hard. The problem also as an actor is there's so much downtime mm-hmm. or so much sort of like gearing up to work oh, yeah. that you say you commit to these things thinking like, absolutely, I can be in this wedding. And then you get the call when you're on and your you, way to the you wedding and you say, I can't, I can't because I waited one this year day for could this lead, job. And it could pay your bills for the next year. Right. This Nickelodeon show, what if I had said, hey, you know what? We're three days away from our due date and I'm off the books. So were you exhausted? Three? How many days after did you shoot the pilot? Do you look terrible in the pilot? <laughs> I was a little heavy. What? Um, the last time I'm I said, the last time I said this to a mom, I really got harassed for it. But when my wife had morning sickness and then she also had um, thyroid stuff come up, which is very common when mm-hmm. women get pregnant. Um. So, you know, morning, obviously, you know, morning sickness, yeah. they call it that it's because you day. get it in the morning when you have an empty stomach. So the cure to morning sickness is to wake up and carbs, eat. carbs, carbs, carbs. But we couldn't do that because of her thyroid, thyroid. medication. Oh. She wasn't allowed to eat for 30 minutes after we woke up. Once that settled in, the only thing she could eat was carbs. And we ate, we were like, we're Hollywood people. So we're like, yeah. no pasta, no bread. And all we ate was comfort food for like the, the first stuff. trimester. The good, yeah, the good, like actual, not quinoa pasta. No. The real stuff. And so I put on like 10 pounds leading up to. It's a little puffy. You were being supportive. I was a little puffy. And really, and in the pilot, it wasn't, it's only like one scene. 
but by the time I came back to do my fitting for the series, it was like everything that I was trying on was falling off of me. That's a great sign, though. It was great. But then you spend a season on a set eating craft service. No, I know. Which if you don't know because you're not in the business, craft service is like amazing gourmet food that's out for you to snack on all the time. Or sometimes it's just like fried rice and <laughs> Well, and it's a kid's show. It's all and, chicken fingers and French yeah, fries. Yeah, mac and, and cheese. And jalapeno right poppers. And cookies. Every yeah. week when I... Um, go to my husband and Bianca's show on Dateable, I go to the, I go sneak back there and I get like 12 cookies. They're amazing. They're amazing. And like, there's no better sandwich than the sandwich no, someone else so makes So your wife for doesn't you. have to like help like at dinner time, like, cause you've already eaten at work or do you, what do you guys do for dinner? Well, the, the beauty of the show is that it's not multicam, it's single cam. So most of the time when I work on the show, I work one or two days. Oh my gosh, this is a dream. It's great. I need a Nickelodeon show. It's great. I need a Nickelodeon show. Okay. So <laughs> I want to go back to the beginning. Yes. Your father was in the military? military? My whole family was. My grandfathers were World War II and Vietnam War veteran hero, war heroes, really. My grandmothers were in Pearl Harbor when it was bombed. My father and my uncles and my cousins are all Air Force. My father was like... OSI, which is the CIA of the Air Force. And then there's me. And you're the only child. No, I have a sister. You do have a sister. Mm-hmm. Somewhere it's wrong, man. It said only child. It said Maybe oh, the only IMDb. son. My IMDb oh. says the only son oh, interesting. of a military family. So I'd love to know why you would define yourself as the only son or what that would mean versus... I think I hold this like... I'm a southern a kid, yeah. So my family is the founding family of Houston on my dad's uh, on my dad's side. Do you know I'm from Houston? Are you really? Yeah. So John Kirby Allen and AC Allen, so you know Allen oh Parkway and Kirby, Texas. Those are my uncles, and they're getting statues this month. They're your uncles, or your like great, 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 great uncles. Shut up! Why weren't you guys living in Houston just so you could brag about your background? Well. You call it prestigious, but it's not as though the Allen, when the Allen family went through the depression, like all those high society guys lost all their money and they turned their house into a boarding house. So it's not as though the Allen family has tons of family money from founding Houston. Right. And they're not founding fathers well, like they own casinos in Houston. It's like <laughs> they- Well, I just meant the bragging rights of saying like, hey, have you gone down Kirby, which is like the biggest street we're military. in Houston. And my dad like went off and did his own thing and then- Okay, so you grew settled up- Settled in, in Florida. But you grew up in South Carolina? No, my sister lives in South Carolina. Oh my God, this is a disaster. This is a mess. This is such a mess. No, but it's, but it's but this is sort of the way I have to tell my story yeah, all right. the time. This is not I, my fault as a researcher. It's probably you just have my an incredibly, fault. Incredibly, first of all, it's very complicated. It's complicated. You you start off by defining yourself as the only son, so it's like added pressure. Here's where I was going with that. I'm glad you said yes. that. I'm the only shot that the Dittmans have of continuing their name on this branch of the family because my uncle had daughters and I'm the only son on my father's side. And I think that's become something important for me to note because when we had a, when we found out we were pregnant, all these men in my life were like, you're having a son. I just know you're having a son. And I was like, I actually feel really strongly that we're going to have a daughter. And I came up against all this weird sexism and I'm sure this is going to sound ridiculous, but um, it's coming from a man, especially from a podcast for women, oh, primarily ready. hosted by women. I went but, to women's college, but too. But so I feel I'm like ready. the <laughs> new sexism, mm-hmm. new attention of sexism, catcalling is a great example. Wage, di- the differences between wages of men and women. I understand that that's something that has been going on, well, our whole lives. But as a white male, I think that there's sort of a feeling that like all that stuff got worked out. And now because of social media, we're finding that all the stories you're reading on Facebook and social media about catcalling are sort of like, you don't know what your wife is going through. You don't, men, you don't know what women go through when they run on the street. So there's new attention to it. And so I felt this new attention to so you're, men you're- saying, what are you having? And me saying, a girl. And them going, oh, that's great. And then you hear... You're in the same group of men and someone says, hey, we're having a baby too. What are you having, a boy? Oh, that's so great. Are you serious? Yes. Okay, two things I have to say about this. The one thing I knew I didn't want was two boys. They're so exhausting. They're so exhausting. But And also because forget the exhaustion. Women are awesome and little girls are the best. So I love my daughter so much. Social media though. So social media 
as a privileged white male, I'm saying that with a smile because obviously I have one at home and I love him dearly. Um, social media kind of has burst the bubble there or has made men, white men more aware that these issues are still yes. prevalent and raging. Yes. I mean, I had this conversation with an African, African-American mm-hmm. female at a birthday party where I just got honest with her and said, I want you to know I've, I grew up in the South. I traveled the world. I'm very aware of racial issues. I had no idea how much further we had to go for black women and for women in general. And she was like, I was ready for the the backlash. Right. I was really ready for her to be like, how yeah. dare? And she was like, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Yeah. She's I, like, I just, this is the whole point of all of what we're all now getting open and saying to the point where now there's women who are like, I'm not a feminist. And that's the most outrageous thing I've ever heard. Like how yeah, could They you, just need to figure out what feminism is. Cause if they're anti-feminist, then they are, they just hate themselves. Right. But we swung back to the other direction where now men feel like it's like, well, there's a reverse, reverse feminism is as ridiculous as reverse racism. It's, it doesn't make any sense. It makes it me doesn't crazy. Make any okay, sense. so but now I, I have hope a my, my daughter will be a feminist because I'm basically a feminist. Yeah, and because I'm going to get my hands on her. Uh, <laughs> she's so I, cute. You'll want to. You want to squeeze her? Um, I I can't believe that men are so. I oh, you got. I can't boy. believe men are so. Uh, Sexist isn't exactly fair, is it? Because it's like you want. You're a boy. You, you're a man. You want a boy, I guess. But if you really come down to it, I'm an actor because in ninth grade, I tried out for the soccer team. I didn't make the soccer team. I went straight to the drama teacher and was like, didn't you say you wanted me audition for a play? And she was like, yeah, come be in the play. I tried. And I, that was why I became an actor. Ninth grade. Because I didn't make the soccer team. My wife was a varsity athlete in every sport at her high school. So if that's one of the reasons why men want to have a boy is because of sports, like, yeah, anything that I feel, my point is anything that I feel like I could do with a boy, I could just as easily do with a girl. And we don't live in an era anymore where girls don't do sports and boys don't play with dolls and aren't creative. It's I have the best picture thinking. of my husband this morning with 15 bows that our toddler put in his hair. It's the sweetest. I'll put it on social media. It's it looks sweetest. ridiculous and it's adorable and he's tuning her ukulele yeah. with 15 bows in his hair. So anyway, this is probably why I am I wrote The Only Son, but it wasn't like I had some statement to make. It just right. was... No, a, I'm just I guess curious. it's just a no, flourish in my bio too. A flourish and also there is... There probably was added pressure for you as a man and but, that's which the, now, in the military, like, which is, I'm not saying that that's a problem. Like if that was your reality, then that was your reality. Yeah, I mean, it defined a certain amount of who I am, but I wrote that bio like five years ago, mm-hmm. that, that beginning. And I just, you know, when you write a bio, yeah. you don't rewrite the whole thing. Now it seems so ridiculous that I wrote that because as we're now talking about hopefully having another, I just had this conversation with another dad who has a daughter and I was like, do you care what you have? And he was like, I love having a little girl so much. I don't, I just want a healthy baby, which yes. is what you have to say. Cause gosh, right. you don't want to put it out there that you have any desire other than a healthy right. baby. I, and that was such and a big fear for me. That's the win. But also I, it's not 1800s. Yes. Feudal England. I, exactly. I don't care what happens with the family. You're not, not going to be passing down your. Uh, There's no dowry. Right. You're not going to be passing your land right. down. To- <laughs> and I don't care about like, so I just want to have okay. a healthy family. I'll be honest. I want a boy next. And and now my second daughter, when she arrives <laughs> in 20 years, she will play this podcast back to me and be like, hey, jerk. Yeah. How you dare you? just told you? the world that you wanted a boy. And we just were saying before we started recording, you have to be careful what you say. Yeah, I know. Uh, don't let her edit this out. I'm not going to edit important. it out. I'm not going to edit it out. Right, because I was telling you that, you, you know, anything. Do you have a brother or sister? I am an only child with okay. six sort of siblings. Got it. Because you because you just said you have a step. Step and step halves. Up. I have a sister, and so I always felt like what would be the best would be one boy, one girl. My wife has a sister, and I can now see firsthand how sweet oh, yeah. the bond is between sisters. So... 
It's win-win. It's win-win. I, I have to, if I'm being really honest, I have some fears about having a boy because there's so many like developmental and health things that seem to be more boy-centric, like autism and right. that sort of thing. Um, I'm 43, which is not 53, but it's also not 33. And they're learning all this like developmental yeah, things also too. come from the age of the sperm, right? not just the age of the egg, but- Forty-three-year-old. We also have a two-bed. That's so not old. how science works. I don't think. It? It, I don't know. <laughs> you haven't had. That I don't know. Is that a science sperm, podcast? Is no, it? No, but we've had the same eggs, haven't we, since the beginning? I somebody, guess we regenerate, but our but our sperm me. factory doesn't. Okay, which yeah, is also be a great right. name for like sperm factory. Sperm factory. Your fa- dad sperm factory. That'd be my dad podcast. Sperm factory. Uh, oh, this is good. Yeah, I think I'd be so thrilled to have sisters. We also mm-hmm. bought a house in Burbank, and it's a two-bedroom house. So if we had sisters, it'd be a little bit easier to yeah, the for them to beds. share a room or a little bit beds. longer than the yeah. two. But I don't, I don't know. I think it, I think it's sweet. And you were telling me before we started the podcast that your mother just moved in down the street. See, going Amazing. back to my friend Bridget on all the commercials, she also lives in Burbank, and her parents just bought a house. None of us have family help out two here. Two blocks away. No, we all moved from someplace else to California. Yeah, but you left and Bridget our families do. Behind. I'm so jealous. We didn't have my mom's help for the first year, year and a half, I guess. I had a 104 year old great aunt, and she was amazing, but she couldn't exactly babysit. No, she couldn't <laughs> do the things you really needed her to do. <laughs> Uh, but she got to meet her. Yes, she did. Great niece. So that's yeah. amazing. And I'm great, so great. None niece. of our grandparents were alive when Hannah Aww. was born, and it's such a heartbreak. We were even pregnant when my last when Grandma Dittman passed away. Mm. It was such a so heartbreak. Did she know that she, she was knew, but she was really very old. Yeah. So it was like, and she really was ready to go. She was saying things like, "I really don't know why I'm not yeah, with my I'm sisters here. in heaven." Like, oh yeah, like I know. Grandma. Yeah, Uh, we uh, told everyone in my family that I was pregnant at my grandmother's funeral. And actually on the way to my grandmother's funeral, I had such bad morning sickness to go back to our earlier conversation that driving to the airport for my grandmother's funeral, we had to pull over on the side of the road and I threw up on Highland. (laughs) So actually... If you don't know Hollywood, an incredibly appropriate place to puke. Yeah, that's true. But also it's busy. Like puke I mean, central. It's, it's also like such a busy street. It wasn't street. rush hour zone, I hope. No. It was. No, yeah. We okay. would have gotten a ticket. We would have gotten a ticket. That puke cost me 79 bucks. Yeah, I had just visited my grandmother a few weeks before because we knew time you know, was coming. And we... Um, Oh my God. Yeah. It was so crazy. So like um, maybe it was a month before I visited my grandmother for a day and she kept saying, you know, get on it. Were sister. you pregnant and just not telling anyone? I was anyone? not pregnant oh, okay. yet. But she was like, this is, it's time. You got to do it. Like you got to have a family. Mm-hmm. This is the most important thing. Yeah. Um, I left her. And then between that and when she passed away and had the funeral, we conceived. She didn't know. And she didn't know because mm-hmm. it happened, I think. Yeah, right. No, because I didn't know for the first four, three weeks or whatever. Right. But it was like right in that month span. Um, but I told my dad and stuff. But it's it is it's so sad to lose them and so special to see them live in your child. And it's pro- it's I guess what is coming too from all of us not having kids when we're eighteen. Although you obviously did, right? Because um, I was actually fifteen. So I'm offended <laughs> that you think I'm that old. I apologize. I'm in- tremendously embarrassed. Uh, we 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 don't have that same first of all my wife is from a very small town she has everything i thought i always wanted in that we were military moving around we did not live in the same town as our grandparents we'd yeah, see which them countries? once a year give me some of the passport stamps real we fast we lived in newfoundland goose bay ontario which is like 12 foot snow drifts and 20 hour days and nights depending on what time of year it is we lived on guam so i had this experience i lived in the south and then we went to where there's a certain amount of racism. Certainly there was in the 70s and 80s. Then moved to Guam where you're, as a white person, you're in the minority. Um, in an island that's a territory of the U.S. that the U.S. government sort of turned into a welfare state. So you're not exactly welcome. So to go from living in the South to going to being a minority and having to really do the work to prove yourself because people have assumptions about you. And how old and were then you go- then? Sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Wow. Then going back to the South again, and then being back in the middle of white privilege again, but now having this knowledge and saying like, you can't, you can't act like that. This is the, this is what it feels like on the other side was 
pretty tremendous as a kid. Plus, every four years, you have to start over. So no wonder I wanted to be an actor. I basically was having to reinvent myself and gain approval every four years of my life. Yeah. And you you have no sense of stability anyway, so why not? No. When, I, when I'd lived in LA for four years, I felt like I needed to move. Yeah. And when I'd lived here six years, I'd never lived in any place that long in a stretch. The home and that so my, I was like, put down roots. This yes, is it. My, you did it. Move to Burbank. Move to uh, Burbank. Uh, my husband and I live in a house that we have, I've now lived in longer than anywhere else. Or oh, did you move around a lot too, or you just have been yeah. in the house that long? Um, I was just back and forth. My parents were constantly moving within Houston. That's okay. the funny thing. It was like always within like an hour's drive. That's um, Whereas my husband grew up in the same house since he was like two years old. Amazing. In Michigan. But grass is always greener. And my so my so that's my experience. My wife's experience is she's from Bloomfield, New York, which is like a suburb of a suburb of Rochester, New York. Yeah. All of her cousins, all of her aunts and uncles, except for one small offshoot of family, all live there. That's like Adam's family. And that's what I was like, oh, I want that. And it's so amazing to go there for Christmas and it's the entire family and it's 50 people at the so dinner table fun. and uh and all of that. So we didn't have that experience. Plus, my mother was a military child. She didn't have that experience. We had my mother's brother and my father's brother's kids lived in the same town as my grandparents. And I always had this feeling of sort of being the second priority because we'd come once a year and they had every day with their grandmother and their grandfather. And so now for my mom to live 0.8 miles away, it's like so tremendous. And now my sister lives in South Carolina. I think she's getting the kind of desire to move out to California. Is she jealous at all? Does she have children? She doesn't have children and she's not married. And I think she really wants like she's starting to see oh my gosh he's got family now he's building a family my parents divorced when we got when i graduated high school so we haven't had family for like 20 years so i think she's coming for thanksgiving then she's coming back for christmas we went up to new york for christmas last year she went there so i think it's kind of like hannah is uniting our family yeah and but everyone hannah is henry's little girl oh that's my little girl I'm curious about your dad because you haven't really mentioned him. You've mentioned your mom's moved to Burbank. You mentioned that you were the only son of this military man mm-hmm. that took you all over the world, which, by the way, is an incredible experience, oh but gosh. also amazing. amazing, but like would be very difficult as a child to have well, to. Well, I don't know the difference. So to right. me. Okay, so you didn't have any resentment over the fact that you had to make new friends every four years. I think, you know, the thing is all my friends were military. So if, So by the way. I was about to say this as a qualifier that it wasn't so bad, but it actually was even worse. You have to figure if I was in a place for four years, there was the other people were not on the same timing. Right. So not only would I have to move and make new friends every four years, randomly a friend would be like, by the way, this is my last oh, six yeah. months. Oh God, you can't. So your like, closest friends anyone. are cycling out too when you're li- like when oh, we lived geez. on Guam, we lived on the base. My father insisted on us going to an off base church. We went to school off base. So we, because he wanted us to acclimate. And he had gone to high school in Paris because he was a military kid. And he was always saying to us, because we went to South Korea, we went to the, we were in the Philippines right before Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos were overthrown in a military coup. Mm. We went to Japan, everywhere we went, even Hawaii. Um, you know, that's a different culture. It's not like being in the Western United States, um, in mainland US. Everywhere we went, he'd say, you, we're not the ugly Americans. If you can learn some phrases, learn them. At the very least, try to be a positive expression of being an American. We're going to eat at restaurants. If we can get invited to restaurants that are locals-only restaurants, we're going to do that. And we did that. we get to know our tailor in South Korea, and he'd take us to these like, like places where you walk in as a white family, and the record scratches. And everyone's turned around like seventh grade. Mm-hmm. So that experience was so tremendous. That's amazing. We I just c- did a podcast with uh, expatriate moms, oh, uh, one in wow. Hanoi and one in Paris. Who and have left the U.S. Who and left are now- the U.S. and are raising their toddlers in yeah, Vietnam and France. How interesting. And, well, so it's so that just reminded me of it. So go back and listen to it. So you go back and listen, guys. Go find on iTunes. Uh, so already I'll say that about my dad. That And every other kid we grew up with, we were required to say yes, daddy, or no, daddy, if we were answering a question, or yes, mommy, no, mommy. It wasn't just, yeah, 
you military kids do not address their fathers and mothers with, yeah, I guess, or no way. But all my other friends had to say, yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. There already was, I think my dad could see some of the ways that my, his father, who was an amazing man, but he saw some ways he wanted to do things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, Is your father alive? Yes. He lives in the panhandle of Florida. Okay. And he retired from the Air Force and then became a prison psychologist for Whoa. murderers and sex offenders on death row. He's hardcore. He's hardcore. Like gun, he's sh- hardcore. gun, sh- gun pistol shooting matches. Cause he's a military man, like, but right. such a great man. Right. And he said to me when I graduated high school and he knew I was going to go be an actor, there's nothing you can do to do that would make me any more or less proud of you than I am right now. So just go do this. But when he left his house, he kind of left with this middle finger in the air to go live his life and reported to active duty military three weeks early and got the key to the sandwich machine in the barracks because he basically got thrown out of the house. But so even though his he, father was also in the military. Yeah, so but I mean, his way of escaping was kind of to go back into the same well, he, system he that was, the father had gone. And he through. was already on that track as the family business. Right. Military and you broke was the, family, out of the business. family business. Uh, and believe me, during the first like handful of years I was in acting and yeah. it was such a slow boat, I kept, I was tracking how many years mm-hmm. do I have left before I can't go right. join the military. And how has your relationship with your father, you know, Hannah's like badass granddaddy, how has that affected how you relate to your child? Are you more well, cuddly? I hear my, like, golly. do you hug oh, more? I'm so, affa- I'm so affectionate <laughs> I am, with her. I assume that he's not a big hugger. He could be. He's not a big hugger. Okay. Um, I don't see my dad a ton. And until Hannah was born, we didn't talk a lot because I think this is probably true with a lot of families. You talk to your mom and then your mom says, here, talk to your dad and hands the phone to your dad right. if you're not divorced or haven't lost one of your parents. But they were divorced. They were divorced. And so my dad and I, for long, for long stretches of time, would talk to each other like on birthdays and Christmas. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't any beef. But I remember a visit to see him where I said, you know, dad, we don't ever talk. And he said, yeah, but we have email. And I said, yeah, but we don't email. <laughs> <laughs> and so- when we got, when we had Hannah and my sister came to visit for my first Father's Day, she bought, she arranged my dad's plane ticket, brought oh, my beautiful. dad out. So some of that connection has really been happening. I've been sort of making the efforts. And I also think this happens when you have a kid. I feel for people who don't have kids, not because I think you need kids to be happy. I think there's plenty of people who don't have them and are just as happy. Um, well, the studies say they're actually happier. Yeah, but whatever. <laughs> But maybe it's not all about happiness. You, maybe you know and I mean? it's may, about and joy may, and, and it's about everyone, being open-hearted. And yes. My, my wife and I, as we talk about having another kid, last night, you're so exhausted and your kid goes to bed and then you won't stop staring at the video monitor. I know. And last night we looked at each other and we said, why the hell did we do this to ourselves? We're like drug addicts that were thinking about having another kid because you're so open. And also a lot of these studies are being done of people who have infants and toddlers. Right. So see, as we start the discussion of do we want to have another, yes, I believe it is going to be exponentially harder to have two kids under the age of four. But I believe that that won't be the same thing when they're four and six or five and eight. Then they get to play together. Or nine and 12. Hopefully. But also that doesn't necessarily happen. And they can read, so they don't need as much going, But where I was going with that was I think that when you do have a child, you all of a sudden let your mom and dad off the hook. And for me, it has been so heart and mind opening for my relationship with my father because I'm the stern one. I'm bad cop in the house. We try very hard to like tell our daughter all the Janet Lansbury stuff of like, I hear you. She was a guest on our show. I know. I saw that. I can't (laughs) wait wait to listen to that. I love her. I love her. She's been great for us building our pragmatic approach to parenting. Um, But when it's time to get stern or when she's doing something that's dangerous for her and I instinctively yell, don't Mm -hmm. do that, right? I hear my father's voice. And I grew up thinking I'm just like my mom and my sister's just like my dad. And now I'm like, no, I'm really the product of both my parents. He's in you. And I, after 30 something years of resisting being like my dad, which I think a lot of us do, I'm not going to be like my parents. Now I I can see that the ways that I'm like him are... Amazing. Give us one way. 
I'm putting you on the spot. That really is on the spot. I think just one little You know what I think the way detail. is it's more like an overall way than a specific detail, but my dad would be I remember being one of my, my I, I bet you my first memory. Oh, I couldn't be my first memory. It'd be too good dramatically in this moment if it's my first memory of my father. Well, let's take creative license. I think let's that, jump in I, there. We're going to say it. We're going to just go with it. Oh my God. It's your first so memory. It's fucking heavy. And then we're going to put it I on IMDb. I think my first memory <laughs> of my dad is dropping a gun into his shoulder holster and walking out the door at like nine o'clock at night to go do an undercover operation. Is that possible? Yeah. It's one of the first ones. It seems pretty memorable to me. So he was going and doing <laughs> Especially like, if you're a he's small child. having these experiences in his work of yeah. like kicking a door in. He told me this story one time, kicking a door in to break up a drug ring, not clearing the room, running in the room, the door slamming shut behind him and locking so he can't get help, a guy putting a gun in his face and pulling the trigger, but the guy was so wasted he didn't advance the round in the gun. And so my dad was did not have his brains blown out. And I think about that when I'm thinking about the grind of like a 14 hour shoot day, five days a week with my wife holding down the fort by herself. Nothing compares to like being in the military. I, I, like, but it's put, it's such perspective on what my dad had to go through. And then when I think about grinding out work and then coming home and needing to be present. Yes, and leaving it at the door. Leaving it at the door or getting the call that you didn't get some job right or the 10th commercial in a row is being canceled yeah and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills mm -hmm. and the one thing i don't want is to raise my child with her hearing my frustrations about my work or how are we going to pay these bills or how are we going to get this done in an age where everyone goes on social media and says things that our fathers and mothers would never say i bet you all of our fathers nearly went bankrupt 50 times while we were kids yes and they would never have said it. And our friend, people are no, age but will you can feel not it. Stop putting okay. on Facebook. Um, I hear didn't you get that. that job. Oh, she broke my heart. Oh, I didn't like. I agree. The things There's he held what, in, right? Are that I? I think this is. I think I'm coming to my point. So I'm. Uh, I'm sorry, this manager. No, Welcome no. to edit it down to the encapsulated point, which no is. Way. No way. No editing. I think that my dad was of the generation who kept it all to themselves, and so I have this image of my father as this strong safe answer man and now the pendulum has swung to the other end as it always does where we've all learned to be open-hearted and open with our truths to the point where we've helicopter parented and maybe overshared and a whole generation of kids their parents just wanted to be their friends because their dads weren't their friends their right. dads were like madmen. yep where you went to the cocktail party in a suit, and if you didn't yeah. act right, someone else had Which the right so to smack Tony, you in the face. You had mentioned before we came that Tony Hale, you listened to our Tony Hale episode, and how he mentioned that his in-laws were like madmen. And, and, not mine and too. now I feel this not thing my, of like- Not my in-laws, my, my grandparents. There's some value to keeping some of this stuff to myself. And when my wife went into the hospital, we had to have emergency C-section because our daughter wasn't moving. I called my mom and said, mom, the baby's not moving. They're worried that she's going to have birth defects. I'm rushing back in right now. We're rushing into emergency C-section. Turned out the cord was around her neck mm -hmm. and her shoulders. Mm -hmm. My mom said to me, honey, I love you so much. I'm getting in the car to come. And now you need to be a strong, you need to be a rock mm -hmm. to your wife. And unfortunately, you need to keep all this to yourself. And I went back in the hospital. And so every time a doctor talked to us in front of my wife, I was like, sounds great. This sounds really good. Let's do it. And then I'd follow the doctor out of the hallway and say, now what's really going on? Because I didn't want my wife freaking out. Of course, you protected as we're her. Going, I protected her. And that's something that as a like heart-based artist, I, I didn't really get my head wrapped around mm -hmm. until I became a father. That's beautiful. Like my, my maleness took on some other identity of... I don't know what, yeah. some foundation that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. And especially that experience and having heard that from my own mother as right. a woman who raised me. At, she was yeah. the, she's like the yoga teacher, spirit channeling, Reiki healer to my father's military dad. And she's the one saying, You have to be the support. Go be your father. Be the father. Be the father. And what I am hoping that we can do is 
step into our roles as parents and not overshare with our children our own stresses and concerns, but be present with them in a way that isn't where we aren't repressing ourselves. Yes. Because that's the the issue I have with previous generations. You know, if one of your earliest memories is seeing your father walk out the door with a gun, like I imagine that it's hard to shake off those experiences when you come home, even if you don't ever talk about them. Or yes. even sometimes, especially if I'd you don't talk, if you don't talk about them, it, it everyone needs to remember that like we can, we're not fooling anyone. Our children are sponges and they feel everything. Oh my gosh, and, he, and, and they understand. And they so. understand everything the and they are so intuitive. Uh -huh. And if we are, we're not fooling anyone. If we're not talking about our problems with them, it doesn't matter. If we're still feeling them and living them on the inside, they are feeling them as well. They have access to us. So that's why I think it's so important for us to do our own work. Yes. Like in any way that we can, we have got to you know, remember that our home is a sacred place. Especially, I think, in this, I was going to say as actors, but it's really sort of true across the board, In especially because creative class is growing and what people do and where it's defined has changed so much. Our fathers and mothers who worked were able to walk out the office and lock the door and come home. But my work is all the time. Yeah. So I know. and I'm upstairs. I get doing my business it, calls at home. I get my emails at home. I'm checking. There's no other business where your phone will ring, and you're disappointed it's your mother or father, right? Because you were hoping it was your agent, right? Or you, it's so you're your waiting agent for that suddenly, work. You're like, oh my god, tomorrow everything that I plan to do is out the window because I'm going to mm -hmm. prepare for the next six hours for this audition. Yeah. And to but we like, have to be present. I mean, that was a really beautiful thing about your conversation with Tony was that it was so much about being present. But I also think there was something really special about what he was saying. I'd heard him say it in other interviews mm -hmm. that he had been in the center of what every actor thinks they want, which is to be in a series, and he still wasn't present. Yeah. And I think that that's true, especially now because of social media, that's true of every person. Yeah, but I don't have a million followers. I'm on a, I'm, I'm a working actor who's made a living for 15 years and bought a house and put my family in the house and continues to work and continues to aspire creatively, but I'm not a series regular in a network television show. Now right. I'm a network television show series regular, but I'm not in movies. Now I'm in movies, right. but I didn't win an Oscar. I won the Oscar right. and I'm obsolete. Like it just doesn't stop. <laughs> it really. So how do really we like doesn't. teach them to be present and thrilled with their lives, but at the same time not become the product of a whole generation of people who said you can be president, you can be an astronaut. Right. You because because this is a conversation I have with my wife all the time where we're talking about our actor friends and she's like, they just need to think positively and believe that they can, you know, make it. And I'm like, yeah, but what do you mean by make it? Because I'm not I don't have my full dream. Right. But if I really want to get real, I wanted to be an actor and have a and have abundance. A buddy of mine spelled this out for me like five years ago, where it's like, I just want abundance. And he was like, you need to stop figuring out how to get abundance and figure out what abundance is. Because you make a very nice living. At the time I've been dating, my wife is like, you have a wonderful girlfriend. Mm -hmm. You have a stable business life and there's and you want more than what you've got. So, And how do you define that? abundance? But, but yeah, what is, is lacking? But only one person can be president. Only four or five people can be president in the course of 20 <laughs> years or a lifetime if, if they mm -hmm. do two terms. So a generation worth of people saying, if you want to be president, you can be president. If you want to be an astronaut, you can be an astronaut. That's not true no. either. So we have a generation of people who are, we are a generation of people who are disappointed because no one was just saying, hey, if you really want to be an actor, you, you can figure out how to make a living doing that. This is why if my daughter at some point said she wanted to be an actor, I feel like I could share something with her that all these stage parents couldn't, which is the reality is not you will make it as an actor or you will not make it as an actor. The reality is you might find yourself in a situation where you're saying, gosh, I've been doing this for 20 years. And if I want to keep doing this, I have to keep hustling until this is part of the process. I don't know when. I don't know. I think I think the promise you could make to your kid is you're going to be equally happy or you're going to be an equal level of joyfulness or happiness 
whatever it is that you end up doing and at whatever level of success. If you're dissatisfied with life and they read that off of us and they learn that behavior off of us, then no matter what your success is, you'll be in malcontent. Yeah, I mean, all those studies about the lottery that you end up just as unhappy or whatever your happiness rate is before you can win the lottery, like a year later or maybe Mm -hmm. a few years later, you're back at that same point. Whatever your baseline in is your baseline. So one of my first agents, Jackie Lewis said to me, if money can solve your problems, you don't have any problems. And what I, the, the, the freedom I've gotten in my career really good. Um, in the last several years, as so many things have been checked off the list that I thought, I just need, oh, this would just happen, oh, this would just happen, is the realization that I'm not any more validated in my work or invalidated in my work if I do or do not get the job. Or if I go and blow it. Oh my God, how many auditions have I like soared at since I had a kid because I was so loose because I just wanted to get home and I was so tired. And how many have I blown because I hadn't slept in three days and I couldn't learn the lines? (laughs) Yeah. So I think this is the big conversation my wife and I keep having where I'm like, I'm sort of faced in my 40s now with my career might be being a dad on a kid's show, doing a bunch of commercials and voiceover, doing the occasional independent film, guest starring on some TV shows. If you told me 10 years ago that was my career, I would have been like, oh my God, really? That sounds so great. It's too easy now to sort of say, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not all these things that Tony needed to be happy, Mm -hmm. but I still would have all the same doubts about myself. I'd still would feel like the same imposter if I had that level because I'd be like, yeah, but I'm not. Oh yeah. There's always more. So it's like the change has to happen within us. And I just want to be, I want, I don't want to pass that on to my daughter. Hardworking, organized likes to keep a clean home because it, I think it, I find it peaceful mm-hmm. to make the bed, to do the laundry, all those things. Those are the things I'd like to pass along to her. But the day that my wife and I were kind of rushing around to get the house clean before a friend came over and my daughter grabbed her security blanket and furrowed her brow mm-hmm. and ran from table to table dusting when she was like 14 months, I went, oh shit, yeah. not that, not that part of it, but yeah. you can't stop them once they've nope. seen it. It, that is such a perfect example. Want, Every parent listening right now is like, oh my God, yep. I've seen like, it. Oh, it's so they cute. mirror it. It's so cute how they, she they loves to it. clean. And it's like, maybe, or maybe like she sees my frantic energy and she's like, oh, that's how I'm supposed to be. And, and now, now the flip side of all this is we had a, we bought a house three months after we found out we were pregnant and it was a fixer upper. So our whole last two trimesters, as well as first year and a half, we had a baby. I was refinishing a house. And I mean, like patching concrete, (laughs) installing baseboards, tearing out fences and concrete blocks, because I had to make it safe. It wasn't safe for a baby to be in that yard, be in that house. Now, in the last six months, I'm figuring out how to just be with my daughter and not be in this constant modern parenting mode of doing, doing, we gotta, doing. She got to be stimulated. She, we got to help her development. And my wife right. and I, this is where we kind of butt heads is where she's like, we, she needs to be around other kids. I'm like, she's going to be, she's the happiest when we're at home. We did all this work and sacrifice to buy a home with a yard. So this is, I should say it's where we butt heads. It's where we complement each other actually really well is my wife's always finding the, these ways to stimulate her. Let's mm-hmm. go to the zoo. Let's go do these things. And I'm counterbalancing it with, let's also stay home and like hug and snuggle, Aww, so read books. And that's how I'm going to f- fix it. Because that's something that my dad, my dad was a wonderful father, but he was a doer. Yeah. So the times that most of my memories of being with my dad are like, we're working in the yard, we're working on the car, we're working in the house. Great bonding. You bond through tasks. But I don't want that to be the way my daughter has all of her memories of me. I want some of it to be like my smell and yeah. my snuggle and yeah. all that. Being you know? present. Being present. Well, thank you so much, Henry. For oh my God, I feel like we didn't talk us. about anything. I know we talked, but good? we talked we about talk really about we talked about a lot of things, and I oh can't believe it because the time just flew by. Really did. You just blacked out. That's what happens on Atomic Moms. Wasn't that wonderful? That was Did you wonderful. have a fun time? I feel okay. great. Okay. Well, to our dear <laughs> listeners, follow us on Atomic Moms. Subscribe on iTunes. We have over 50-something episodes on there. 
uh, we love you guys. You can also check out our new website, atomicmoms.com. I will be leaving you all with a mom bomb. It's one oh, of wait. my favorites. I'm going to get in trouble if I don't say, please watch 100 Things to Do Before High School on Nickelodeon on Saturday nights. That is our mom session. And our mom bomb today is by Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, Jennifer Waldberger, who has been a guest on our show, and she is a dear, wonderful woman who wrote Calm Mama, Happy Baby. And she's also um, the cre- co-creator of, if you go to sleepyplanet.com, uh, she did the Sleep Easy Solution. Anyway, she's a wonderful woman. I love her to pieces. She's obsessed with Jerry Seinfeld. It's a great book. It helped us a lot. Did it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's awesome. I don't know why I said that in a surprised way. She, Of course it did. And she's secretly obsessed with Jerry Seinfeld. So today's mom bomb goes out to her. It's by Jerry Seinfeld. And it's a quote that says, a two-year-old is kind of like having a blender, but you don't have a top for it. <laughs> so trust in your goodness. Live out your greatness. Rock on, Atomic Moms. <laughs>